0: Take your Bibles, please, and turn to Paul's letter to Philemon. Book of Philemon is where we are today. It is actually the last in our series, a look at the book for 2015. We're going to step away from this series of giving an overview of the books of the Bible, book by book, uh, next Sunday, and we'll go through Advent in a series of Advent messages focusing on uh, the birth of Christ, and rejoicing in the themes of the holiday season. We'll re- return to this series in 2016 to finish out the rest of the New Testament. But today we, we come to Paul's brief and personal letter to Philemon. And here's the key concept today. What Jesus has done for you, now you do for others, namely forgive. We are to be forgivers The letter that carries Philemon's name is sent to a man named Philemon, but it's actually about a man with another name. The name is Onesimus. This is the shortest of Paul's letters. It is a personal letter, not written to a church per se, but Philemon was a leading man and a leading Christian in the the church in Colossae. There, the church met in his home, and and it looks like things are going very well for Philemon. But in reality, he has a problem, and the problem is one of the slaves of his household named Onesimus has run away. And in addition to just running away, he has robbed Philemon to finance his journey But now, Paul, who knows Onesimus and has actually witnessed to him and has caused him through the power of the Holy Spirit to come to Christ, is writing back to Philemon, and he's going to ask for forgiveness and actually a little bit more. This letter raises the issue of how do you react after you are caught in the problem or the sin, and how do people react when they were sinned against? When we are the victims, how do we react in that situation? The story is told of two brothers in the time of the Old West here in the United States. Two brothers who joined together and, and were, uh, were sheep thieves. They were convicted of that crime, and uh, they, as a part of their conviction for stealing sheep, they were branded with the uh, initials ST on their foreheads, stood for Sheep thief. Forever and always they would have that identity on their forehead. One of the brothers got so enraged and so embittered by that part of the punishment that he left the area where this was taking place never to be heard from again. But the other brother reasoned this way. He said, you know, I'm never going to be able to change the past, but I can change the future. I want to become the kind of person that earns the respect and the admiration of my neighbors and these in this town. And so he stayed, and he stuck it out. And as the years went by, he built a reputation for integrity and honesty until he was an old man, well along in years, and a new person moved into that city, into that town. He met him, but he went to another individual that he knew was a longtime resident, and he said, tell me about that brand on his forehead what do are, what are those initials, S-T, mean? And that person who had lived in that town for a while thought to himself and said, you know, I, I have forgotten the details. It was a long time ago, but as I've come to know him over the years, I've always thought that it was an abbreviation for the word saint. He totally turned around his reputation. It is what you do after you fail that counts. And Paul is talking to Onesimus about what he's going to do after he fails, and Philemon about what he will do in reaction to that, to this runaway slave. You see, Onesimus took some of Philemon's funds and he fled Colossae. And he did what most people who are on the run, on the lamb, so to speak, do. He went to the biggest city he could think of to try to blend in and hide in the crowd. And of course, that biggest city he could think of was Rome. And Paul was in Rome at that time. Actually, he was under house arrest. But what house arrest meant for the Apostle Paul was that there were times that he could hold meetings where he was staying and he would write letters and he would witness and there would be Bible studies and those kinds of things that he hosted even while under house arrest. And somehow or other, we're not exactly sure of the details, Onesimus got invited or brought to one of those occasions. It's about the year A.D. 60, and Onesimus hears the gospel from the Apostle Paul. Paul introduces him to Jesus Christ, and Onesimus becomes a brother in the Lord. And now this runaway slave is part of the family of faith. And so Paul writes back to his former owner, who he knew uh, in previous times, and this is what he writes. Follow along with me, uh, verse 1. He writes, Paul, a prisoner of Christ Jesus, and Timothy, our brother, to Philemon, our dear friend and fellow worker, to Aphia, our sister, to Archippus, our fellow soldier, and to the church that meets in your home. He writes to these three people, Philemon is the main recipient of the letter, Uh, Aphia is his wife, Archippus, we're not sure, he's either the son in the family or possibly the pastor-teacher who works in this church that meets in, uh, in Philemon's home in Colossae. Archippus is also mentioned in the letter to Colossians, so, so there, though he must be some person of standing in the church. And Paul writes this letter to kind of put a little pressure on Philemon to take Onesimus back, but he does so kind of gradually. Because he recognizes that what he's going to be asking of Philemon is going to sound hard. You see, in these days, the rule and the law for Rome against slaves and runaway slaves was particularly harsh. In these days, the crime of being a runaway slave and who was then captured would usually be punished by crucifixion. The most lenient of all punishments that was allowed by the statutes of law was that a, a, a former owner could take that slave back and brand the slave on their cheek, which would identify them as a fugitive at one point in their life. It would complicate the life of that person forever. But Paul is asking for more. Paul is asking for different from, from Philemon. He's asking, do the merciful thing. See Onesimus not so much as a slave anymore, but as a brother. And to complicate matters a little more, Onesimus, like I said, has stolen from Philemon. And so there's that to deal with. Now, we don't know how Paul came to know Philemon. We do know this. We know that Paul never visited Colossae. However, Colossae is less than 100 miles from Ephesus in western Turkey. And Philemon, being a businessman, probably made his way to the big city, probably, you know, had some time there doing business and trade and so forth. And it was most likely during that time that Paul uh, Paul preached the gospel message, and Philemon responded. And he went back to Colossae, and he opened his house, and he opened his life to be a person who continued to help the gospel be spread there. And so now Philemon, as a wealthy person, one who's a, a, an owner of business and slaves, is asked to rethink the way that he feels about what he's assumed throughout his whole life because he grew up in a slave-driven society. And the Roman idea of slavery was that that slave is a piece of property just like a chair, just like a, de- a, a desk. The rules were harsh. As I said, they'd be crucified if they escaped And so Onesimus' position is precarious when Paul says, I want you to go back to your master. And he's challenging Philemon to think differently. It's going to be a big step. And so instead of just ordering him, he kind of eases into it. And he begins by praising him. Look at verse 4. I always thank my God as I remember you in my prayers, because I hear about your faith in the Lord Jesus, your love for all the saints. I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding of every good thing we have in Christ. Your love has given me great joy and encouragement because you, brother, have refreshed the hearts of the saints. Paul rightly compliments Philemon because he's doing good work in the Lord. And I want you to see a couple of points here that really we must not pass by. He says, I pray that you may be active in sharing your faith so that you will have full understanding. You see, when you speak the words of the gospel to someone else, it plants those words more firmly in your own heart. When you share the love that you found in Jesus with somebody else, that love becomes more uh, a flame in your own understanding and in your own mind. I have a saying that, that goes, He who teaches learns twice, and it's absolutely the case. Every time you just speak those words, this is what Jesus has done for me, you are grounded more firmly in what you have in Christ. He says, I pray that you do that. And he says, I remember you refresh the hearts of the saints. It's likely that Philemon has no idea what Paul's talking about, refreshing the hearts of the saints. What does that even mean? It means that Paul has been the recipient of somehow the echo effect, the ripple effect, if you will, of Philemon's kind acts, of his generous spirit. You never know how your kind acts ripple out across your relationships across your friendships, maybe to, th- maybe to those that you don't even know and wouldn't even recognize. But somehow the, the ripple effect of your kindness makes a difference. It has for Paul. One man has said, the diameter of the circle of your kind acts is unknown and unknowable. Maybe Philemon is surprised to hear that Paul knows he's refreshed the saints But Paul introduces his letter that way because he wants Philemon to know that that I appreciate you, I, I value you. But then he goes on to kind of get to the point. And he doesn't get to the point by just abruptly blurting it out. He kind of eases into it. Verse 10, he says, I appeal to you for my son Onesimus. Who became my son while I was in chains. Formerly he was useless to you, but now he has become useful both to you and me. I'm sending him, who is my very heart, back to you. You see the connection that Paul has with Onesimus, this new son in the faith. But what you don't see is the play on words that Paul is doing here. In Greek, as he read it in Greek, it would have been very obvious. You see, Onesimus means useful. It was a common slave name. When you became a slave in the Roman Empire, they would often give you a name that would kind of be a picture of your stature. And useful was a common slave name because of the way you could use that, right? Hey, useful, make yourself useful. Make a fire over here. Hey, useful, make yourself useful. You know, you could see how that would go, right? So that was a common name. And Paul is saying, hey, I know that useful has become useless to you as he has escaped, but now he is useful again. But not as a slave, now as a brother. Useful in in the kingdom of God. And I'm sending him back to you. Philemon would have understood that and he would have been challenged by it. But there is a challenge also for Onesimus here. And that is, you go back and tie up loose ends. There is a spiritual principle embedded in what Paul is asking Onesimus to do that applies to you and applies to me. It is, when you come to Christ, you cannot run away from your past. When you come to Christ, you don't get a free pass from the things that you did before you knew Christ. Part of repentance is restitution is making amends as much as we can for the hurt that we caused in those days when we didn't know Christ as Savior. That's why Paul is sending Onesimus back. He's saying, you have loose ends, my friend. You have some things that you need to take care of, so you go back and you take care of those things. It's not easy, but God honors that. I heard a speaker once talk about a, a, a true story that comes from England, and in this situation, there was a guy who grew up as a petty criminal. Just his whole life, he was doing crimes. He was, you know, in a rough area, and he just kind of got involved in the wrong crowd and crime after crime, and never really was caught, never really paid any, any, uh, anything for those crimes, got away with it, it seemed. But one day, he came to Christ. He gave his heart to Jesus. He asked for forgiveness. He was changed from the inside out. And it dawned on him, you know, I have to make things right for the, these these crimes I committed. I can't just kind of pretend that it didn't happen in the past. And so he confessed to some crimes that he had committed in the past, and he went to the judge, and the judge saw him in his court, and, and sure enough, I mean, he was very moved that this man would confess really without any prompting, but the law was the law, and he had to send him to jail. So he sent him to jail with the very most minimum sentence he could get, and he went to jail, and once he was in jail, people asked him, Well, why are you here? And he, and he explained, well, well, I'm here because, you know, uh, I came to Christ, and I, I remember the crimes that I committed, and I knew I had to make amends. I knew I had to pay a price, and so I confessed, and, and now I'm here in jail. And little by little, this, this testimony of renewal in his life made a difference to the other inmates. They, too, started coming to Christ, and soon he had a small Bible study that he was leading behind behind the jail cell there. But his sentence was very short, and soon he was released, and he left that little flock that was growing in the Lord behind. So he thought to himself, you know, there are other crimes I could confess to. And so that's what he did. He confessed to some other crimes he thought of, and he went back into that jail, and he continued to lead that Bible study, and he, he was uh, working there until one day the chaplain of that jail came, came by, and, and uh, that guy said to the chaplain this. He said, you know, I am the only evangelist in this nation fully financed by Her Majesty the Queen. <laughs> Making amends. It's not easy, but God blesses that. And here he's saying to Onesimus, I want you to make amends. It would be hard because he's a new believer, but it's a testimony to the fact that when you get saved, you change. Your priorities change. You're under new management, and he wants Onesimus to honor the priorities of the Lord. So how transformational was Jesus in Onesimus's life? History has a hint for us. We don't know for sure, but historians tell us that 50 years after this date, there was an elderly bishop who served in Ephesus called Onesimus. Was it the same man? We don't know, but it could be. One day, I'll ask him. Onesimus was changed, but it's also hard for Philemon. Look at verse 15. Paul goes on. He says, "...perhaps the reason he was separated for you for a little while was that you might have him back for good, no longer as a slave, but better than a slave as a dear brother." He's very dear to me, but even dearer to you, both as a man, as as a brother, and as a brother in the Lord. Now Paul is getting right down to the nub. I want you to see him not as property, but as a person. I want you to see him not as a slave, but as a brother. Paul goes on in the next few sentences to say, and oh, by the way, if he owes you any money, I'll pay. He knows for sure he owes him money, but I'll pay. And then he reminds him, and make up a bedroom for me because I might be coming your way. little extra pressure there. But he's asking Philemon to do something that is be, uh, is based on the transformation he's found in Jesus, and that is forgive. You have been forgiven, so you forgive. You remember last June, a young man named Dylan Roof went into a church in South Carolina, and he shot nine people. You remember that news story? That evening, or the evening of his bail hearing, CBS News carried the report of, of that uh, hearing, and in that bail hearing, they had set up a vid- video link between Dylan Roof and his, uh, the families of his victims so that they could speak to him. And Scott Pelley on CBS News reported that. I was watching that. This is the transcript of that report. It goes this way. Today, the nation witnessed one of the most extraordinary scenes ever in an American courtroom. Families of nine people gunned down during the Bible study in Charleston, South Carolina, faced the alleged killer and told him about the precious lives that were wrenched away from them. Many in these deeply religious families forgave him because that is what their religion teaches. Ethel Lance, 70, left five children, seven grandchildren, four great-grandchildren. A daughter spoke up for the family, saying, "'I will never be able to hold her again,' but I forgive you, and I have mercy on your soul. She said, it hurts me, it hurts a lot of people, but may God forgive you, and I forgive you." That broadcast sent shockwaves through the nation, watching people actually forgive, What is heinous. One man who watched that is named uh, Charles Cook. He's a writer for the National Review. He is an avowed atheist and makes no uh, pains about it, but this is what he wrote. He wrote, I am a non-Christian, but I must say that this was a remarkable advertisement for Christianity. Forgiveness is an advertisement for who you are in Christ and what Christ has done. And Paul takes on the evil of slavery by teaching forgiveness and the importance that all people are valued in God's sight and the parallel teaching that work is valued in God's sight. These two Christian ethics, all people are valued in God's sight and that hard work is valuable and not a curse. Those two things made slavery both wrong and unnecessary in the Roman Empire in days to come. But here... He's asking Philemon to forgive. And there's one more layer that you miss. I know you miss it. It is this. You take for granted that forgiveness is virtuous, don't you? You take for granted that even though it's hard to forgive, I should forgive. I ought to forgive. Why do you think that way? You think that way because of the Bible and because of Christianity's influence in Western civilization. You are steeped in a culture that has learned the value of forgiveness from the model of Christ, even though, even if they don't know Christ personally, that is something that's a virtue for us. Understand, it was not that for the Roman Empire. Philemon grew up a pagan. He grew up in the Roman Empire with those who worshipped the pantheon of gods for whom forgiveness was not virtuous. Forgiveness was weakness. And weakness would bring down a, 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 a curse on your family, not a blessing. And Philemon had to unlearn and retool all this cultural baggage that he grew up in. And now, simply because Christ has forgiven him, he needs to do something totally countercultural and say, I will forgive you. That's huge for him. But Paul asks it, not as a sign of weakness and shame, but as a sign of glory, because Christ has forgiven you. Look at verse 20. I do wish, brother, that I may have some benefit from you in the Lord. Refresh my heart in Christ. Confident of your obedience, I write to you knowing that you will do even more that I ask. There's the pressure, you know, hint, hint, wink, wink. Do more that I ask. So the question is, why is this book in our Bible? Paul wrote a lot of letters, many of them not in our Bible. But why this one? Why this one inspired by the Holy Spirit and placed in the Bible? The reason for that is twofold, but first is this. In reality, this is a picture of what you have experienced if you know Christ as personal Savior. You have been the runaway slave. You have been the one who had a debt that you couldn't pay. You have been the one deserving of the punishment of death. Christ paid that punishment in our place. He paid the debt, and we are the ones now who have experienced a forgiveness that we couldn't earn simply because of love. It's a picture for what we have, but it's also a a story about how we should treat one another. And the first part of that message is we should learn to affirm the people around us. Paul starts with memories. You have refreshed the hearts of the saints. It tells us, remember to say nice things. Remember to give words of praise and compliment to the people you experience in your relationships. I'll say it this way. Catch the people you love doing something right and tell them about it. Words of admiration. But secondly, we see that whenever possible, we should appeal rather than command. Paul had the authority to say, listen, I'm the apostle and you're not. So here's what I want you to do." But he didn't do that. Rather, he appealed to Philemon. He explained why it's important. He didn't command. It's a a good thing for us to remember when we're moving fast, when we're in situations of authority, whether at work or in the family as we're dealing with our kids or whoever, and we might be tempted rather than just to, to bark out commands, you know, and not take the time to explain. See Paul's example and pause to appeal to explain why why this is important. Because here's the thing, you cannot bully someone into righteousness. Appeal rather than command. Thirdly, we learned the lesson that all relationships will cost us something, and if we're going to have them, we need to pay the cost. Paul paid a cost here. What was it? Well, we don't catch it necessarily in the text, but in the context it is, Paul under house arrest was not supplied food by the Romans. He did not have three meals a day. He did not get an exercise privilege. In the Roman system system of judgment, when you're a a justice, when you're a prisoner, somebody on the outside has to bring you your food or you don't get food. Onesimus could have been that person for Paul. He would have been useful to him. But he sent him back. He paid the price because Onesimus had business he had to deal with. And Philemon too had to pay the price. And that was pure and simple, the price of mercy. I'm going to do the countercultural thing the non-expected thing. And I'm not going to brand you or crucify you or even enslave you. I'm going to forgive you. And that's what he was called to do. In this letter, it shows us how we are to relate to one another based on what we have received from Jesus Christ. Our time is gone this morning. I'm going to ask you to uh, stand and we'll close in a word of prayer. So why don't you go ahead and stand to your feet Maybe you're here today and you say, you know, there's still something that I need prayer for, something that if somebody could just partner with me in prayer, I would just be blessed. We have prayer counselors next to the organ every Sunday. They're waiting for you, maybe to introduce you to Jesus or to simply bring your need to the throne of grace. You slip forward. But first, we're going to pray all together. And I want you to, to remember that everything that we said here today from this little letter is because of what we see when we look to Jesus. And so as we enter the holiday season, Thanksgiving soon, and then Christmas beyond, I hope that when we walk through this time, what we're doing is saying, I'm going to look to Jesus throughout all this. And as I gaze on Him, that's going to be my model for how I act. Lord, we pray that that is indeed our prayer and our attitude as we walk through this season, that You are who we look to. We look to You for guidance, for instruction, for strength, and for help. For the model and example of how we ought to live, help us, Lord, to take the simple lesson of this brief book, and because we have been forgiven, forgive others. Thank you, Lord. You can help us do it. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.